Harry sat down opposite the ghost in the tuft he'd seen earlier. The ghost patted his arm, giving Harry the sudden horrible feeling he'd just plunged into a bucket of ice-cold water. He could see the high table properly now. At the end nearest sat Hagrid, who caught his eye and gave him a thumbs up. Harry grinned back, and there in the center of the high table, in a large golden chair, sat Albus Dumbledore. Harry recognized him at once from the card he'd gotten out of the chocolate frog on the train. Dumbledore's silver hair was the only thing in the whole hall that shone as brightly as the ghost. Harry spotted Professor Quirrell, too, the nervous young man from the Leaky Cauldron. He was looking very peculiar in a large purple turban. And now there were only three people left to be sorted. Thomas Dean, a black boy even taller than Ron, joined Harry at the Gryffindor table. Turpin Lisa became a Ravenclaw. Then it was Ron's turn. He was pale green by now. Harry crossed his fingers under the table, and a second later the hat had shouted, Gryffindor! Harry clapped loudly with the rest as Ron collapsed into the chair next to him. Well done, Ron, excellent, said Percy Weasley pompously across Harry as Zabini Blaze was made slithering. Professor McGonagall rolled up her scroll and took the sorting hat away. Harry looked down at his empty gold plate. He had only just realized how hungry he was. The pumpkin pasty seemed ages ago. Albus Dumbledore had gotten to his feet. He was beaming at the students, his arms opened wide as if nothing could have pleased him more than to see all of them here. Welcome, he said. Welcome to a new year at Hogwarts. Before we begin our banquet, I would like to say a few words, and here they are. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak, thank you. He sat back down. Everybody clapped and cheered. Harry didn't know whether to laugh or not. Is he a bit mad? Yes, Percy, uncertainly. Mad, said Percy. He's a genius, best wizard in the world. But he is a bit mad, yes. Potatoes, Harry. Harry's mouth fell open. The dishes in front of him were now piled with food. He had never seen so many things he liked to eat on one table. Roast beef, roast chicken, pork chops and lamb chops, sausages, bacon and steak, Boiled potato, roast potato, fries, Yorkshire pudding, peas, carrots, gravy, ketchup, and for some strange reason, peppermint humbugs. The Dursleys had never exactly starved Harry, but he'd never been allowed to eat as much as he'd like. Dudley had always taken anything that Harry really wanted, even if it made him sick. Harry piled his plate with a bit of everything except the peppermints and began to eat to eat. It was all delicious. That does look good, said the ghost in the rough, sadly, watching Harry cut up his steak. Can't you? I haven't eaten for nearly 400 years, said the ghost. I don't need to, of course, but one does miss it. I don't think I've introduced myself. Sir Nicholas de Mimsey Porpington, at your service, resident ghost of Gryffindor Tower. I know who you are, said Ron. My brothers told me about you. You're nearly headless, Nick. I would prefer if you called me Sir Nicholas de Mimsey. The ghost began stiffly. 
But sandy-haired Seamus Finnegan interrupted. Nearly headless? How can you be nearly headless? Sir Nicholas looked extremely miffed, as if the little chat wasn't going at all the way he wanted. Like this, he said irritably. He, sis he seized his left ear and pulled. His whole head swung off his neck and fell onto the shoulders. It was a, it was on a hinge. Someone had obviously tried to behead him, but not done it properly. Looking pleased at the stunned looks of their faces, nearly headless Nick flipped his head back onto his neck, coughed and said, So, new Gryffindors, I hope you're going to help us win the House Cup this year. Gryffindors have never gone so long without winning. Slytherins have got the cup six years in a row, the bloody barons becoming almost unbearable. He's the Slytherin ghost. Harry looked over the Slytherin table and saw a horrible ghost sitting there with blank staring eyes, a gaunt face, and robes stained with silver blood. He was right next to Malfoy, who, Harry was pleased to see, didn't look too pleased with sitting arrangements. How did he get covered in blood? asked Seamus with great interest. I've never asked, said nearly headless Nick delicately. When everyone had eaten as much as they could, the remains of the food faded from the plates, leaving them sparkling clean before. A moment later, the desserts appeared. Blocks of ice cream in every flavor you could think of, apple pies, <coughs> Crickle tarts, chocolate eclairs, and jam donuts, trifle, strawberries, jello, rice pudding. As Harry helped himself to a trickle tart, the talk turned to their families. I'm half and half, said Seamus. Me dad's a muggle. Mom didn't tell him she was a witch till after they were married. Bit of a nasty shock for him. The others laughed. What about you, Neville? said Ron. Well, my grand brought me up, and she's a witch, said Neville, but the family thought I was all muggle for ages. My great-uncle, Algie, kept trying to catch me off my guard and force some magic out of me. He pushed me off the end of Blackpool beer once. I nearly drowned, but nothing happened until I was eight. Great-uncle Algie came round for dinner, and he was hanging me out of an upstairs window by my ankles when my great Auntie Enid offered him a meringue, and he accidentally let me go. But I bounced all the way down to the garden and into the road. They were all really pleased. Gran was crying. She was so happy. And you should have seen their faces when I got in here. They thought I might not be magic enough to come, you see. Great Uncle Algie was so pleased. He bought me my toad. On Harry's other side, Pursley Weasley and Hermione were talking about the lessons. I do hope they start right away. There's so much to learn. I'm particularly interested in transfiguration, you know. Turning something into something else, of course. It's supposed to be very difficult. You'll be starting small, just matches into needles and that sort of thing. Harry, who was starting to feel warm and sleepy, looked up at the high table again. Hagrid was drinking deeply from his goblet. Professor McGonagall was talking to Professor Dumbledore. Professor Quirrell, in his absurd turban, was talking to a teacher with greasy black hair, a hooked nose, and sallow skin. It happened very suddenly. 
The hook-nosed teacher looked past Krill's turban, straight into Harry's eyes. A sharp, hot pain shot across the scar on Harry's forehead. Ouch! Harry clapped a hand to his head. What is it? asked Percy. Nothing. The pain had gone as quickly as it had come. Harder to shake off was the feeling Harry had gotten from the teacher's look. A feeling that he didn't like Harry at all. Who's that teacher talking to Professor Quirrell? he asked Percy. Oh, you know, Quirrell already, do you? No wonder he's looking so nervous. That's Professor Snape. He teaches potions. But he doesn't want to. Everyone knows he's after Quirrell's jobs. Knows an awful lot about the dark arts, Snape. Harry watched Snape for a while, but Snape didn't look at him again. At last, the desserts disappeared, and Professor Dumbledore got to his feet again. The hall fell silent. Ahem, just a few more words now that we are all fed and watered. I have a few off-term notices to give you. First year should note that the forest on the grounds is forbidden to all pupils, and a few of our older students would do well to remember that as well. Dumbledore's twinkling eyes flashed in the direction of the Weasley twins. I have also been asked by Mr. Filch, the caretaker, to remind you all that no magic should be used between classes in the corridors. Quidditch trials will be held in the second week of the term. Anyone interested in playing for their house team should contact Madam Hooch. And finally, I must tell you that this year, the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. Harry laughed, but he was one of the few who did. He's not serious, he muttered to Percy. Must be, said Percy, frowning at Dumbledore. It's odd because he usually gives us reason why we're not allowed to go somewhere. The forest's full of dangerous beasts. Everyone knows that. I do think he might have told us prefix at least. And now, before we go to bed, let us sing the school song, cried Dumbledore. Harry noticed that the other teacher's smiles had become rather fixed. Dumbledore gave his wand a little flick as if he was trying to get a fly off the end and a long golden ribbon flew out of it, which rose high above the tables and twisted itself, snake-like into words. Everyone pick their favorite tune, said Dumbledore, and off we go. And the school bellowed, Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Huggy-warty Hogwarts, teach us something, please, whether be old and bald, or young with scabby knees. Our heads could do with filling, with some interesting stuff, for now they're bare and full of air, dead flies and bits of fluff. So teach us things worth knowing, bring back what we forgot, just do your best, we'll do the rest, and learn until our brains all rot. Everybody finished the song at different times. At last, only the Weasley twins were left singing along to a very slow funeral march. Dumbledore conducted their last few lines with his wand, and when they had finished, he was one of those who clapped loudest. Ah, music, he said, wiping his eyes. A magic beyond all we do here, and now bedtime. Off you trot. The Gryffindor first years followed Percy through the 
chattering crowds out of the great hall and up the marble staircase. Harry's legs were like lead again, but only because he was so tired and full of food. He was too sleepy even to be surprised that the people in the portraits along the corridors whispered and pointed as he passed, or that twice Percy led them through the doorway hidden behind sliding panels and hanging tapestries. They climbed more staircases, yawning and dragging their feet, and Harry was just wondering how much farther they had to go when they came to a sudden halt. A bundle of walking sticks was floating mid-air ahead of them, and as Percy took a step toward them, they started throwing themselves at him. Peeves, Percy whispered to the first years. A poltergeist. He raised his voice. Peeves, show yourself. A loud, rude sound like the air being let out of a balloon answered. Do you want me to go to the Bloody Baron? There was a pop, and a little man with a wicked dark eyes and wide mouth appeared, floating cross-legged in the air, clutching the walking sticks. Ooh, he said with an evil cackle. Ickle firsties, what fun! He swooped suddenly at them. They all ducked. Go away, Peeves, or the Baron will hear about this. I mean it, barked Percy. Peeves stuck out his tongue and vanished, dropping the walking sticks on Neville's head. They heard him zooming away, rattling coats of armors as he passed. You want to watch out for Peeves, said Percy, as they set off again. The bloody Baron's the only one who can control him. He won't even listen to us prefix. Here we are. At the end of the corridor hung a portrait of a very fat woman in a pink silk dress. Password, she said. Caput Draconis, said Percy, and the portrait swung forward to reveal a round hole in the wall. They all scrambled through it. Neville needed a leg up, and they found themselves in the Gryffindor common room. A cozy round room full of squashy armchairs. Percy directed the girls through one door to their dormitory and the boys through the other. At the top of the spiral staircase, they were obviously in one of the towers. They found their beds at last. Five, four poster hung with deep red velvet curtains. Their trunks had already been brought up. Too tired to talk, they pulled out their pajamas and fell into bed. Great food! Isn't it? Ron muttered to Harry through the hangings. Get off, scabbers. He's chewing my sheets. Harry was going to ask Ron if he'd had the chance to try any of the trickle tart, but he fell asleep almost at once. Perhaps Harry had eaten a bit too much because he had a very strange dream.